Hello, listener. Listen in as we talk about next steps in studying three pillars of intellectual formation, ethics, philosophy, and theology. Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost with Joseph and Crystal Gruber, a podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, O Lord, our actions by thy holy inspiration, that every word and work of ours may begin in thee, and by thee be happily ended. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hi. Hi. It's been a while since we've been before the recorder, you and me. True. And here we are. Here we are. I'm excited to be podcasting with you this week. Me too. So I think the thought is to talk a little bit about the three apologetics classes that I had delivered. And the really cool realization you had, maybe after you delivered them? No, after I delivered them last year. Okay. How they actually tie into what apostolic exusitatum says that we need for intellectual formation. Yeah. So you guys may remember a few episodes ago, we were going through uh, chapter 6 of Apostolicum Exusitatum. Uh, In English, it's just called the Decree on the Apostolate of the Laity, which is a document from Vatican II. Um, Chapter 6 is called Formation for the Apostolate. And paragraph 29 talks about uh, different four different areas of formation, essentially human formation, spiritual formation, intellectual, and practical formation. And for the intellectual formation, it says that we need to be formed in a solid doctrinal instruction in theology, ethics, and philosophy. Adjusted to differences of age, status, and natural talents. And something neat looking at theology, ethics, and philosophy, ethics is essentially understanding morality, so not being a relativist. At least that's the beginning of ethics, Mm -hmm. is recognizing that there are moral values that do call us to act. And then philosophy looks at the existence of God. Yeah, natural reason uh, by its own light can come to the conclusion that that God exists. So um, philosophy, natural uh, reason, philosophy can take us to the heights of knowing that God exists. So it's not the basis of, but rather uh, one of the most mm, ennobling, cool, full full things that philosophy can, can yield to us. And then theology being the third area of intellectual formation. And the prerequisite of, of theology is that divine revelation is true. So Christianity has to be seen as true and that which has been revealed. I mean, that's, that's the stuff of theology, right? It's the thinking about God, but God as revealed. Um, there is a natural theology, right? Um, so just based on philosophy, what we can know about God through reason, you can call that a natural theology. But theology in the way that it would be meant from the authors of Apostolicum Ocitatum would be um, the unpacking of divine revelation. And I think it was after you gave the talks this year that you drew that connection for me since I hadn't read Apostolic Maxius. You taught it previously. And I thought that was really cool to see how those three talks that you gave really do um, give sort of a shallow water entry point into 
how we need to be formed intellectually for the apostolic life. And so one of the things I mentioned was how much I don't recognize things like relativism in my own mind and how I've just been really struggling with the reality that I've been marinating in the culture that we live in that says God doesn't exist, that all religions are equal, and that relativism is the way to go, and and desiring to be more and more well-formed because I find the better formed I am in these areas, the more quickly I can realize when I'm going astray. And sometimes it might be something very subtle, like making an excuse for myself or for my husband. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, At some point, we're going to talk a little bit about something we heard recently, uh, Carl Rogers and the, what was it, Unconditional Positive Regard. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. We were listening to Jordan Peterson on some of our car trips, and he was talking to Bishop Barron about Carl Rogers and... It blew my mind. I the Unconditional to... Positive Regard unpack some of that that's that that that's a different topic tangent and a whole other thing but anyways but but i think the thing that relates is it was this moment of i learned something about truth about what it means to be human about how morality works about how god works and it made me realize there there's this way that i've been malformed um, that that needs undoing and and that it's been affecting the way I communicate with my husband negatively. Just so, because I brought it up just to wrap a little bit of a bow around that, unconditional positive regard is not actually a good thing. It's not actually good to just affirm people for everything that they do. Even when it's not good. Even when it's not good. It's not good to just make excuses for them. Um but I'm very good at doing that. <laughs> you are good at many things, including bad things. It's true. So being more well-formed. In I the- affirmed her in the appropriate way, which was to affirm that, yes, she is good at being bad at things. <laughs> I'm very good at affirming. Yes. <laughs> when I recognize my faults. <laughs> yes. I dear. affirm you. You are terrible at that. You I'm are glad right. you... <laughs> recognize it. Now, what are we going to do about it? And so I think that brings to the question of what are, what are we going to do about it? So, um, we came up with some recommendations for each of these three areas of things that you could read or listen to, or spend time with to dig deeper into forming your intellect for the apostolic life. Um, can I tell briefly the story of the dental hygienist? Sure. Okay. Um, it's not part of our notes about what to talk about tonight, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. I had my teeth cleaning uh, the other day, and the dental hygienist was talking about the number of children that she desired to have. She had had one, and it was a boy, so they're hoping to have a girl, and then they would be done. But if they have a boy for a second child, they might have a third. And um, I, I didn't totally comprehend everything that she was saying, but to be better formed both in what is true, but also to be able to recognize like what what is off about this and and how do I actually broach the subject in a gentle way, like, oh, how do you view children? Oh, what is a family? To be able to have uh the capacity to to put comments into context, to take a step back 
and to ask a question that will actually engage them. I didn't do a great job, just FYI, with this dental hygienist. I was like, uh, something seems off about what she's talking about, but I... But I think the thing that's really interesting is then when you were telling me and we were talking about it, I was like, of course, that's what she thinks. That's what everybody thinks. And that blew your mind. I didn't know that most people see children as like, they come in sets, ideally, of two. Like that, uh, I don't know. That that wasn't how we were raised in my family. Um, but that, that was something that was and is a very common um way of thinking that I'm, and so for me, where for you, it was this, uh, something's off. How do I like ask better questions to help expose some different ideas for me? I'm like, yeah, that's just kind of how everybody thinks. And I feel a little like I can't do anything about it other than not look like a total hot mess when I'm out with my big family. (laughs) Yeah. Not that our family is all that big. No, no. It's only big compared to the people who have sets of two. Because yeah. we have three and another on the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that to say, the more well-formed we are in what the the true reality of a thing is, whether that be a family or the having of children or even, even things that don't necessarily have a, well, I was going to say don't necessarily have a huge spiritual weight, but I guess a lot of these things, even I was thinking about like finances, like the more well-versed we so are in this. So much weight. Jesus talks about money all the time. He does. So, and I, I think you, you've also had instances, I think we've both had instances recently where we'll get in a conversation with somebody and, and something related to finances will come up and it's like some things will make sense and other things will seem off and we're still getting better versed in that. And so figuring out how do we engage well, these things... I'm getting a little bit off topic, but, but realizing, like I'm realizing with the dental hygienist, I found out also later on in the conversation that she was Christian. I could have just asked, what does Jesus think about mm-hmm. the size of your family and what it ought to be? Yeah. And, and to just go like, when, when I see something as, you know, strange or, or interesting to just, just, just say, where's Jesus in that? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, how, how is your conversation with Jesus going about this? Is this something that we can talk about? Is this something that, you know, if you haven't talked to him about it, can we pray now and trust that the Holy Spirit does want to work and that that is something that can be discerned? And uh, if if things are still a little wonky, to, to say, let, let's look in Scripture. Let's look at an authority that they, I mean, if she's Christian, she should take Scripture as authority. Mm-hmm. If she would become Catholic, there would be more authority to bring to bear. Um, that just makes me think about, a time when one of our teammates was in a situation where she was having a conversation with a student and, and she had this moment of feeling very, I think, um, and I don't think she'd be offended by me saying this, sort of outsmarted by this student who is getting all excited about some environmental things that had very technical aspects to them. And she had this moment of clarity of, this is about Jesus. I don't actually need to be able to keep up with the conversation about these like obscure environmental like concerns and whatever's going on here. I need to talk to this girl about, about Jesus. And, and so not getting so caught up in the intellectual formation that we think that's the end all be all. The end all be all is always our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the Savior, not knowing every moral rule. And, and so approaching 
forming our intellects more and learning more about these things insofar as they reveal more to us about who Jesus is and, and what he wants for our lives. Um, not so that we can win arguments with people. Um, but so we can make more beautiful choices about how we're living our own lives, our own lives. And, and so we can see clearly, mm-hmm. right. There, there's so much confusion in the world mm-hmm. that we, we, we need to retrain our minds. You know, we, we don't need to be conformed to this world, but we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, as St. Paul tells us in Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Mm-hmm. And and that renewal of our minds is so key that the fathers of the uh, Second Vatican Council said, hey, you should be formed for your in your intellect. Um, so, so that was my segue. With no further ado, we'll segue into some recommendations. So, in particular, in regards to being more well-formed for ethics, um, understanding that there are moral values, and and so how do we dig into what those moral values are? And, oh, let's let's start with the one, what happens if we don't have moral values? A creepy read. You have to, the first, I promise you, the first, like, 20 pages might not seem interesting, but it builds and builds and builds the abolition of man by C.S. Lewis. It's very good. It's also, I know through our library, we can get it to listen to for free. And it was originally a three lectures. And so listening to it for me was something that was really easy that, and it's an hour and a half to listen to. So, um, the abolition of man by C.S. Lewis is phenomenal in terms of, yeah, like you said, understanding what happens when we strip away morality and ethics. Um, and that for me, I think motivated me to want to learn more about how to live a moral life. Um, and one thing that we found that's really cool is Hillsdale college has some free online classes that you can sign up for. I mean, free, it is free. You have to give them your email address and then they send you other emails and sometimes they do ask for money, but I mean, it's not anything. I too just crazy. gave them money, <laughs> anyways. But they're they're well done, um, and they have one on the Nicomachean ethics. I'm about halfway through the class, and it's really good, um, and it's helping me read the book that I think I otherwise would just get stuck in because it's thick. Um, and so that's a recommendation that Nicomachean ethics class from Hillsdale College. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's videos. If you, if you end up not reading Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics and you just watch the videos of the classes. You're still getting. You're still getting quite a bit. Great stuff. Um, so a few other works that might be worth taking a look at. Uh, there's a book by, um, Stephen J. Jensen. And we're going to put these all in the show notes. So why listen to the rest of this podcast? Oh, because I'm going to talk about some of the things that I brought up in some of the talks, the past three podcasts that I should amend or uh, amplify at the end of this one. So keep listening. (laughs) Uh, By Stephen Jensen, Living the Good Life, A Beginner's to Mystic Ethics. And this is, this is just really good. It's, it's relatively short. Um, it's what? About 200 pages. I think this one I read like 50 pages of and my mind was so blown that I couldn't keep reading it because it was like too much. 
And that does I think, happen. I think you should come back. I'd probably go back to it now. But Yeah. Well, and I was going to say this for closer to the end about study, um, but but anything that's truly worth reading is worth rereading. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started reading for the first time um, St. Teresa of Avila's uh, The Interior Castle, and I've, I've only read about the first mansion, but I've read it twice now, and the second time I was like, oh, okay, and I'm probably going to read it another time or two before I move on to the next one, uh, because if something is that good, it's worth reading mm-hmm. and and this is a practice that you know the the reading of blogs and the reading of articles is actually um conditioning our minds to read quickly and to not retain um and we we, we actually have to relearn how to read um and that's that, that can be difficult but it's also fun it's like if i break it down into smaller chunks and read it comprehend read comprehend and move on, read. It's like, I can I can do this. And I think I've always felt like rereading is kind of a waste of time. Like, I've already read this book. Why do I want to reread it? And I've been rereading C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy and finding things in there that I just didn't notice the first go around. So it's not, in a lot of ways, it doesn't actually feel like I'm rereading them. I mean, granted, the first time you read them out loud, so it is a different experience in some ways, but um, being able to experience some of these stories or other works at different seasons in our life, at different times when we're in different places is also really fascinating to me and something I hadn't been open to until recently. Well, I'm rereading The Abolition of Man again, and it's just just seeing how he goes from one step to the next step. And then he says, and then these three things are the possible options. And you're like, oh, those are. I had forgotten about two of them. And you're like, why, why didn't I retain more? And I don't know. Maybe so that I could come back and rediscover. Anyway, uh, one more book about um, ethics and, and morality that I would recommend to people is called Morality, the Catholic View, by a guy named Surveys Pinkers. He's a Dominican. Um, and so Jensen's living the good life. He's talking specifically about uh, a Thomistic approach to uh, to ethics and, and morality. And it's, it's very good. Um, Surveys Pinkers takes more of a survey approach to how um, morality has been approached in the Catholic tradition throughout the 2,000 years. And he's uh, trying to reclaim um, the idea that morality is all about uh, human flourishing and human happiness. So is Stoic Stephen Jensen, but he's doing it strictly from a Thomistic viewpoint. And Survey Pinkers is going all over the place, and it's fun. It's a it's a good ride. Okay. So do you want to talk about philosophy? Yeah. Um, it's good to be better informed in philosophy. I, here... I've probably mentioned this on the podcast before, but I I remember taking my first logic class in college. Unfortunately, my first logic class was in college, not sooner. Um, At least you've taken a logic class. At least I've taken a logic class. And we were going through fallacies, and I realized almost every single commercial I had watched in the 18 or 19 years of my life up to that point were all based around fallacies. I was like, huh. 
It's like all of the stories that I watched on television were peppered with these like 30 second fallacious videos. And it was like, oh, I've, I've been trained in fallacious thinking, thinking like, oh, because this looks good on a screen, therefore it's good to own, or this person owns it, therefore I should want it, or, you know, whatever the fallacy may be. Um, people were basically making their livelihoods off of fallacies and relying on people falling for them. Uh, and and so, so learning a little bit more about logic, learning how to think a little bit more clearly through arguments, to, to turn an argument around many different ways. So the first person to recommend for reading for understanding philosophy better would be G.K. Chesterton, just because he, he, he thinks, um, how to put it? He thinks in paradoxes and puzzles, and he'll take things that we'll take for granted, and he won't take them for granted, and he'll run with them. Uh, so it, it is a really great bit of mental gymnastics that he goes through, and it's sort of like he becomes your personal trainer. Mm. Um, other people to read, if you're uh, sort of intro philosophy, uh, Peter Kreeft, K-R-E-E-F-T. I know people pronounce it all sorts of different ways. I've heard him say Kreeft, so I'm sticking with Kreeft. Um, he's a philosophy professor at Boston College, Catholic, and um, he has relatively accessible books. I remember one that I've read a long time ago called The Journey, where he just goes through different ideologies and philosophic systems. and. But in sort of a story form. Yeah, that one I is a story form, thing, yeah. Which is kind of fun. Yeah. A lot of his books end up, uh, you can find, I don't know how many, but a number of them he, he writes in sort of dialogue form or story form, which, which makes for easier reading. Mm-hmm. Um. And then another author that's just got a lot that is good is Joseph Pieper. Yeah, and he has a lot of work on the virtues. He's really very well known for for his works on theological and cardinal virtues. So that would be in the realm of morality. Um, but he's a Thomistic philosopher, and he has a lot about truth and being and leisure and the intellectual life. And, uh, and he's good. He, he's not as hard to, to read as people think. Um, so I, I recommend Leisure, the Basis of Culture, give that a shot. Or there's a book of his, uh, called Joseph Pieper, an anthology, uh, which just has excerpts from a bunch of his different works. And you can just open up to random pages and read a page or two. And there's some just absolutely stunningly clear, uh, little, like paragraphs or pages, nuggets. nuggets. You may, yeah. Not that that happened while we were looking at our bookshelf to figure out what to recommend for philosophy. Of course it did. <laughs> and with that too, I think, at least right now with philosophy, we're not feeling like we necessarily have the, like this isn't, for me, this isn't something that I've started to dig into very much yet in the way that I have started to be reading more on ethics and morality. Um, so, We'll probably put up, well, we will put a post up on our Facebook page. So if people want to comment, if you have any recommendations or things that you've really loved about any of these, but especially about philosophy, please do. We'd love to hear what you recommend and probably give it a try ourselves. And then theology, things to learn more. I mean, this one, 
there, Again, there's a lot. There's so much. Um, anything by a guy named Joseph Cardinal Rotzinger. Uh, I just, he's good. Papa he's, B fan. Yeah. Benedict the Sixteenth. Um, but you especially in, like Introduction to Christianity. Introduction to Christianity, which is, uh, first off, his introduction to the Introduction to Christianity <laughs> is just really good. He situates the, the modern predicament of professing faith in the modern world um, really, really uh, grippingly. And then the, the work itself is basically an unpacking of the creed. And um, yeah, it's he's so good. There would be times when I just had to put, put the book down because I'm like, wow, that was too rich, too rich to keep going. But but he has a lot of great books, um, that uh, are worthwhile. His his books about Jesus, you know, the Jesus of Nazareth, um, books are are really just great um, melding of uh, scriptural uh, exegesis and historical critical method, and um, yeah, and they're probably pretty easily findable either at your library or. Used bookstore. Used bookstore. Amazon, obviously, for pretty much everything. People tend mm-hmm. to go to Amazon. But we do recommend your local library. And if your local library doesn't have really awesome Catholic theology books or good philosophy books or books on ethics and morality, you can talk to your librarians. Get them. Get them. Uh, and then also with theology, uh, one thing that you can do is if you pick a topic. If you look it up in the catechism, you can see what the catechism cites. And usually it will be citing some church fathers and some papal uh, documents, some other magisterial documents. And then you can just follow the the trail of footnotes. And you say, oh, I didn't realize that Tertullian said so much about the Our Father. I should go read some Tertullian. And find out who he is. And find out who he is. um, And why he's not St. Tertullian. Anyway, um, and then go, and, and, and a lot of works, especially with the Church Fathers, you can find a number of them online nowadays, uh, and anything magisterial, you should be able to find, especially if it's the last few popes in English on the Vatican's website. Um, so following the catechism trail to Church Fathers and the likes is a great place to dig deeper into theology. And I find when I do that, when I start somewhere and go somewhere else that I end up retaining things better because I'm starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together in my head while I'm look. It's, it, it's really like actively looking for the puzzle pieces and starting to see the picture come together, which is pretty neat. Yeah. And all of these puzzle pieces will come back to scripture, right? Because theology is the unpacking of divine revelation uh, so the person of Jesus unpacking everything he said and did that we have record of, um, and then who he is and who he reveals himself to be. And so scripture is going to be a gold mine of nuggets for understanding who God is, what our relationship is to him. Um, and so that's a cool thing to see, you know, as you go down, uh, there, there, so people talk about going down like a rabbit hole or something when they go online and they start clicking around. Um, but I found when I follow trails of footnotes, it's, it's not so much going down a rabbit hole. 
which has this implication of going into this strange, unexpected world. It's saying, no, this, this thing that I see, I want to see more deeply and more clearly. So I'm not going into the darkness of a hole. I'm, I'm stepping, um, stepping out into the light more and more in this particular area. Um, it, it just came to my mind, that image of like a tree or something else where it's, you're walking around it. You're seeing it from different sides and starting to get a more complete picture of what all is going on here about this thing. Yeah. For the past few weeks, I've been going into uh, what is marriage and what are families according to uh, the church and just following different trails for that and, you know, saying, well, here's Amoris Laetitia. Who does he cite? And then go to those things and say, okay, read for a while and say, okay, this is an interesting point. Where does he cite? And then go back and back. We um, found some really great stuff doing that. Yeah. And there's so much more out there. Uh, and that's part of the exciting thing. Like there, there, there's so much out there. People have been literally reading and meditating and, and chewing on and discussing and in some cases debating, uh, different topics in theology for, for, uh, two millennia for, for the new Testament. Um, and then if you add in all of the Jewish commentaries on the old Testament, there's just been thousands of years of um, really pondering in our hearts what God has been saying. And maybe that's a good way to tie it all together, is that ultimately this is supposed to draw us into uh, the life of Christ and imitation of him and imitation of the saints, especially of Mary, and that all of these can be approached in that kind of way. Uh, and if you think that you don't have time, know that this is one of the reasons why God has given us the Sabbath rest. This is what Sundays are for. Um, I don't always take uh, enough time on Sundays for for diving deeper, um, in part because I do that during the week as well. Um, one of the benefits, I guess, of being a Catholic missionary currently. Um, I also think this is... Uh a thing for, for the rereading. I think for me, I've always felt like I had, don't have time because I'm with young children and I can't sit down and read something that's so dense and really understand it if I'm trying to make that happen on the first read through and, and looking for, and, and having watched you, Joseph, find time to read one paragraph and be okay with that, that, okay, I, I don't have time to read all of the Nicomachean ethics. And I've been going through the class way slower than I kind of wanted to at the beginning. But I, I do pick it up and I do read a paragraph here and there. And then I, I reread a paragraph. And then I reread, read a paragraph. <laughs> um, and, and wanting to go back and watch those videos again, because when I watched them, I was feeding one of our kids breakfast and I probably only got maybe half of it. And that's okay. I think I feel, I often feel like I don't have time because I don't have time to learn everything deeply right now. And I couldn't do that even if I didn't, even, even if every day was Sunday and I didn't have little kids to care for. Um, and, and so also being at peace with, with just, a lot of this stuff is so rich that, that kind of like you said with ratsing, it's like you to take little bites and to then ponder them throughout the day, even if 
we don't have time to, to go into a lot. And so to be okay with what, what we can get. Um, and sometimes that just means carrying around this book with you wherever you go because you're and by wherever you go, maybe that's from your kitchen to your living room. That's kind of what it is for me some days. <laughs> um, and maybe it's sticking it in my purse, but having, being okay with taking short moments, I think makes a big difference and, and is something I often miss out on and forget about. And this is an interesting point too, because if we're taking these things around with us physically, uh, we're also taking them around mentally which means that they'll probably leak out into our speech. Yeah, and I, this is another thing like with the Nicomachean ethics class. We've been kind of trying to go through that around at the same pace, and that's enriched our conversation, and it's enriched my conversation with other friends of mine. It's like some of my, especially my friends who are also moms with young children, where it can be really easy to have very shallow conversations that mostly have to do with our kids when I'm reading these things and unpacking them, especially when it's somebody else who I know is also at least attempting to form themselves. Our conversations are so much richer and so much more full. Um, and that allows for me to then unpack these things even more. Again, even if it was only one paragraph that I can talk it through with somebody else. And it's great. Because we're, suggesting uh, for those who feel like they don't have very much time to do it in little bite-sized increments, that that these bite-sized increments, usually we're seeking out an answer to a question. And so we have this question in our minds and our hearts that we can then bring up with people. What? <laughs> we can bring up these questions with other people. Two more steps back. Questions. I forget to bring a question to the table when I'm reading these things. That oh, would be very helpful. Yeah. To ask the question, why am I reading this right now? What am I getting out of this? What are they trying to present? What questions are they trying to answer? Yeah, That would be helpful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it, it's very helpful. Um, this is something that I discovered as an on-campus missionary a few years back where uh, my teammates we're more interested in ongoing formation. Uh, and we realized the questions that we were talking about as a team of missionaries were actually really great questions to just talk to random people about, to start conversations mm -hmm. um, and to get other people's uh, thoughts and opinions. And if they didn't have thoughts and opinions to get their gears turning, but yeah, it does. It does mean that we should have questions in mind. There is a process that I was taught, um, probably would have been like sixth or seventh grade, and I don't do it very often. Uh, she called it, the teacher who taught us this study method called it SQ3R. Oh, I did you, did you learn this that, as well? There's some, that yeah. went off somewhere in the background. So back of my the mind. first S is just skim through, mm -hmm. you know, read the first and last sentences and the headings. Um, then the Q is come up with questions, questions that you have based on your skimming and then read, review, and write, read, write, and review. I don't remember the three R's, but the S and the Q seem to be pretty important with what we're talking about. The three R's maybe are too. Um, for those who are listening, who did learn about this process, if you want to comment on Facebook, 
what the three R's were other than just read, read, read. That would be great. Yeah. Anywho, um, yeah, I, the the formation of our intellects, uh, it does leak into apostolic work. It does leak into conversations. It does potentially elevate them. So speaking of leaking into conversations, since I think some in part from when you gave the talks that we posted for the last three talks, and in part from people that have listened to them from being posted, had a little bit of feedback that we talked about talking about, but all of a sudden a fair bit of time has gone by. I can do this really briefly. Great. One, I received a criticism with the existence of God talk that my argument from, uh, Motion was flawed because I was talking about things moving and not the change from potentiality to actuality. Valid. Totally valid criticism that I uh, simplified Thomas's uh, approach. Um, my one weak defense is that I didn't want to have to explain potentiality and actuality um, in a 40-minute lecture to missionaries who had all sorts of different or non-existent philosophic backgrounds. But it's, it's fair, right? It, I I did misrepresent Aquinas, and for that I apologize. Um, and maybe we could do a whole podcast on that one of these days. I would have to learn it better myself. I mean, I know it enough to say it, and I know it enough to have a pretty decent idea. But the other defense that I have for not saying it uh, more clearly is... I need to be better formed philosophically. That's just me being humble as I am. So maybe podcasts like 132. 132. <laughs> Mark it down. No, we probably won't keep record of that. Okay, another point that was brought up is that when I talked about Feeneyism, that I incorrectly called uh, Father Feeney a heretic. It's true, he wasn't a heretic. He was disobedient. Uh, and then uh, everything got cleared up. Feneyism, uh, I think, does verge onto a heretical ground. Uh, Feneyism being this interpretation of outside the church, there is no salvation. Um, look, this is complicated. If you want a really great explanation, uh, there's an order that Father Feeney founded in, it was either Connecticut or Vermont, and then there's another order of Benedictines, uh, who are also sort of spiritual sons of Father Feeney in a place called Harvard, Massachusetts, um, where I spent a delightful evening with them uh, many years ago, and they explained Father Feeney to me. Um, so no offense to those who are fans of Father Feeney. I think you're wrong, but that doesn't mean you're heretics. Um, so I should have been more clear about that. To be honest, for podcast listeners, I had a PowerPoint, and on the PowerPoint, I had a picture of George Feeney from Boy Meets World. And that's really why I wanted to put Feeney up there. <laughs> um, also because I, I think he represents, in a lot of Catholic minds, like one of the further extremes of understanding extra ecclesium nulla salus. Um, but again, this is one where probably brought up something too big to really chew over in a 40-minute talk. Last thing, uh, a question was asked about uh, reading the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus or the allegorical sense of scripture, and how is that more legitimate than like a Marxist reading 
or a queer theory reading or a feminist reading or post-colonial reading of scripture. Um, and I've been thinking about that. And I, I think there, there's really a couple of things to say. One, um, for the people who use like a Marxist lens, those people believe that class struggles are the most important thing. So they, they actually bring into the literature that they read, um, this, this unquestioned assumption about, about how the world works. Same thing with post-colonial theory and queer theory and, and all of these, these other things. They're, they're making, um, an epistemic claim before they even start reading the text. Um, and I think it's a little bit more valid to use Jesus as a lens to read the Old Testament because he does that, and St. Peter does that, and St. Paul does that, and St. Stephen does that, and the Church Fathers did that. Um, that that's just how Christianity has received the Old Testament as fundamentally about Jesus. Um, so is that still question begging? Uh, I mean, it seems to me like you're saying there's something different between approaching a text that is fundamentally about something versus bringing a fundamental idea and imposing it upon the text or looking for like, yeah, no, that that's a good way to put it. That is a good way to put it. Um, like you're not imposing Jesus on the text of the old Testament. He's there. You're uncovering. Yeah. Him. So that, that is the other thing because these stories from the old Testament do make so much more sense. Um, in a sort of weird and um, unexpected way at times, when we see that Jesus is actually at the heart of them. Um, hmm. But I, I think also with that question is, try it and see. You know, for for the, the atheist or the non-Christian who says, you know, I don't think that Jesus is in the Old Testament, to, to say, well, you know, if we're actually friends, do, do you want to try it and see? Would you like to look at a story or two with me and see if we can find Jesus in it? Um, and that could be the start of a beautiful friendship. It could also be the start of a wonderful Bible study, or as I would prefer to call it, uh, sessions in which you study the Bible together. Uh, I think those were the main points I wanted to draw. So people who have leveled criticisms about my apologetic classes, uh, usually you're just right. And I'm not going to um, defend myself too much, uh, other than I was trying to pack a lot in, in a little space of time. It's not a great defense. You're right. You, you just are <laughs> podcast listener. You win again and again and again. If you want to keep winning, uh, feel free to send us an email at ouroutpost at gmail.com. Uh, we're usually pretty good at getting back to people. Uh, you can also... Feel free to leave a comment on our Facebook page, which is a word from our outpost with Joseph and Crystal Gruber. You can also, if you know us, feel free to email us at our personal email accounts or call us or text us. Um, or if you live in the area and you see us regularly, just chat with us. Or if you don't live in the area and you want to visit, just let us know. We like visitors. We do like visitors. Uh, also, feel free to review the podcast if you think that we're doing a pretty okay job. Um, the more stars that we have on iTunes, I think the more it will show up. Apparently that's helpful. I mean, again, this is totally based on whether or not you think 
listening to this podcast is worthwhile. So if you don't think it's that worthwhile, you probably don't want to give us stars because you don't think other people should listen to it. But then why are you listening to this part? We're like 40-some minutes in. And with that, I'm going to wrap us up. Thank you. (laughs) In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this opportunity to understand how to understand you better. I pray that you would help us help our listeners to find the little spaces wherein they can learn more about who you are um, and who you've created us to be. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Take my hand let's be on our way And now finally I can say From our outpost to yours, thanks for listening. And a special thanks to John Mark Skoke. That's S-K-O-C-H. For the music. Check him out on Spotify. 